the various trials of believers. Archibald Alexander Thoughts on Religious Experience The reasons why Christ has chosen that his people should be afflicted and often sorely persecuted are not difficult to be ascertained. In a former essay, it was shown that the rod is one of God's means for recovering backsliders from their wanderings, but afflictions are also employed to prevent Christians from backsliding. In prosperity, pride is apt to rise and swell. Carnal security blinds their eyes. The love of riches increases. Spiritual affections are feeble and eternal things are viewed as far off and concealed by a thick mist. These circumstances are, indeed, the common precursors of backsliding. But to prevent this evil and to stir up the benumbed feelings of piety, the believer is put into the furnace. At first, he finds it hard to submit, and is like a wild bull in a net. His pride and his love of carnal ease resist a hand that smites him, but severe pain awakens him from his sleep, and he finds himself in the hands of his heavenly Father, and he sees that nothing can be gained by murmuring or rebelling. His sins rise up to view and he is convinced of the justice of the divine dispensations. His hard heart begins to yield, and he is stirred up to cry mightily to God for helping grace. Although he wishes and prays for deliverance from the pressure of affliction, yet he is more solicitous that it should be rendered effectual to subdue his pride, wean him from the love of the world, and give perfect exercise to patience and resignation, then that it should be removed. He knows that the furnace is a place for purification. He hopes and prays that his dross may be consumed, and that he may come forth as gold which has passed seven times through the refiner's fire. Paul attributes a powerful efficacy to afflictions, so as to place them among the most efficacious means of grace. For, says he, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days corrected us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them who are exercised by it. When faith is in very lively exercise, believers can rejoice even in tribulation. Not that they cease to feel the pain of the rod, for then it would cease to be an affliction. But while they experience a smart, they are convinced that it is operating as a salutary though bitter medicine, and they rejoice in the prospect or feeling of returning health. But again, God pours not the rich consolation of his grace into a heart that is not broken. He sends a rich empty away, the whole need not a physician. But when by affliction he has broken the hard heart, and emptied it of self-confidence, 
He delights to pour in the joy of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, it often occurs that the believer's most joyful seasons are his suffering seasons. He has, it is true, more pungent pain than when in prosperity and ease, but he has also richer, deeper drafts of consolation. Though sorrow and joy are opposite, there is a mysterious connection between them. Sorrow, as it were, softens and prepares a heart for the reception of the joy of the Lord. As the dispensations of God toward his children are exceedingly diverse in different ages, so his dealings with individual believers who live at the same time are very different. Why it is so, we cannot tell, but we are sure that he has wise reasons for all that he does. In some cases, pious persons appear to path through life with scarcely a touch from his rod, while others, who to us do not appear to need more chastisement than those, are held the greater part of their life under the heavy pressure of affliction, with scarcely any intermission. Here is a Christian man who has nearly reached the usual termination of human life and has hardly known what external affliction is in his own experience. Prosperity has attended him through his whole course. But there is a desolate widow who has been bereaved of her husband and children and has neither brother nor sister, nephew nor niece, and for eight years has been confined to bed by wasting and painful disease and has no hope of relief on this side of the grave. Such a disparity is striking, but we see only the outside of things. There are sore afflictions of the mind while the body is in health. That man may have had severe chastisements than this afflicted, desolate widow. I have heard of an aged Christian declare that though he had experienced much sickness, lost many dear friends, and met with many sore disappointments in life, his sufferings on these accounts were not to be compared with the internal anguish which he often endured and of which no creature had the least conception. This shows that we are not competent to form an accurate judgment of the sufferings of different persons. Besides, when affliction has been long continued, we become in a measure accustomed to it, and, as it were, hardened against it. But when we judge of such cases, we transfer our own acute feelings to the condition which are no correct standard of the sufferings of the patient under a lingering disease. The widow, to whom I referred, was not a fictitious but a real person. I once visited her and conversed with her, and found her serene and happy, desiring nothing but a speedy departure, that she might be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But she was not impatient. She was willing to remain and suffer just as long as God pleased. Her heart was truly subdued to the obedience of Christ. There was only one earthly object for which she seemed to feel solicitude, and that was the little forsaken and almost desolate church of which she was a member. For a series of years, disaster after disaster had fallen upon this little flock. Their house of worship had been accidentally burnt, 
They had been so long without a pastor that they dwindled down to a few disheartened and scattered members, and only one aged elder remained. Seldom was there an occasional sermon in the place, as they had no convenient house of meeting on the Sabbath. Now, although this poor widow could not have attended if there had been preaching every Lord's Day, yet that little church lay as a burden on her mind. And I heard a minister who knew the circumstances say that as once a poor wise man saved a city, so this poor, pious widow by her prayers saved a church from extinction. For before she died, a neat new church was erected and a pastor settled and a number of souls hopefully converted and gathered into the church. I was once on a visit to a friend who requested me to accompany her to see a sick woman supposed to be near her end. The house was not a cabin, but a mere wreck of a once comfortable dwelling. Every appearance of comfort was absent. The partitions appeared to have been taken down. The whole house was turned into one large room. There was no glass in the windows, but it didn't matter. It was summer. Upon entering this desolate place, I saw the sick woman lying on a miserable bed, unable to raise her head from the pillow, and attended only by an aged mother above eighty years of age and a little daughter about seven or eight. Here indeed seemed to be the very picture of wretchedness, and I was told that her brutal husband generally came home drunk, never gave her a kind or soothing word. But here the conclusion. I verily thought before I left the house that this was the happiest woman I ever saw. Her devout and tender eye was sweetly fixed on heaven. Her countenance was serene and illumined with a heavenly smile. Archibald Alexander